0: welcome ladies and gentlemen to the bone club podcast i'm your host dean joined by the queen of halloween miss boo but unfortunately halloween has passed it has i'm so sorry for your loss
1: just another 11 months to go until next halloween
0: you don't have to start counting like on november 1st you know oh i do you know, you can wait till, like, after Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know?
1: Nope, the The hurt starts at midnight, November 1st.
0: So much pain, so much pain.
1: So much emo pain.
0: God, I hate my chemical romance so much right now.
1: We should listen to them after the podcast. Why
0: do you have to hate me so much? But, instead of us talking about some really bad emo bands from the early 2000s, why don't we talk about something good for a change? Like, our movie, Today mr martin scorsese's raging bull which is actually one of your picks
1: this is this is my pick for our thanks anniversary. i think that's what we decided on this month yes also this month if we didn't mention in the first episode of the podcast for november we're doing thanks aversary where we are talking about films that are celebrating major anniversaries in the month of november so that would be for this week raging bull which is celebrating its 40th anniversary
0: Big 4 this month. Big one. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of interesting when you think about it because this is probably the best movie from the 1980s and it only came out in 1980.
1: It's one of the best, yeah. I, I can think of a lot of great 80s movies that came out in the 1980s, but...
0: Better than Raging Bull?
1: I mean, are you really going to fight me on Back to the Future?
0: I mean, it's it's it'd be painful, but I mean, it's Raging Bull. Like
1: It's Raging Bull, and it's my pick, but there's a lot of great 80s movies, so you really a, can't discredit them.
0: There is a lot of great 80s movies, but where would you like to get started while we talk about this great 80s movie?
1: Well, do you remember the first time you saw Raging Bull?
0: Oh, God. Or I, has
1: this been something that's been in your life, you know? for a long time that you've watched it throughout the years
0: no no not no not even um i think i know the first time i watched it was with my brother um and oh god it was probably after silence came out now that i think about it because okay okay i think i actually remember when i think it was about like 2016 so like four years ago Mm -hmm. um I got on a Martin Scorsese kick because, you know, I was watching Taxi Driver. was watching Wolf of Wall Street. I watching... remember. Yeah, Goodfellas, because I realized, oh, Martin Scorsese is, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And my brother, he got on watching some of the movies with me. Like, I'd have it on in the background while he was doing something else. And usually you'd get about a half hour into, like, Taxi Driver. And then he'd kind of, you know, stop doing what he was doing and finish the movie. And then he was like, oh, man, these movies are actually really good. And then we went to go see Silence, and then my brother was like, Silence is the closest thing to pure art I've ever seen in a movie theater. Interesting. Yeah, my brother's favorite film is Tales from the Past 3, the World of Warcraft movie, which... Is going to be happening on the podcast. Don't worry about it.
1: It's okay. I'm going to pick a really good movie for Dean to watch. I love you. As payment for that and for Eraserhead. So we're good.
0: Eraserhead is a masterpiece.
1: I still have a headache.
0: I know. I know. But um, after Silence, I was looking into it and everybody said Raging Bull was Scorsese's best movie. And then I found it on, I think at like FYE in Mm. Fullerton on like a whim on like one of our dates. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I picked it up and brought it home and watched it. And I think that might have been the last time I watched it was like like four years ago. This well,
1: is... that's that's a long time.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things where I actually have a pretty bad memory, but I have a pretty good retention for movies. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, I don't need to rewatch it, I'll be fine. And then we rewatched it for the podcast, and oh, I missed a lot of a lot of stuff that the steel trap for movie trivia is actually pretty loose now.
1: And there's a lot of trivia for this movie. There's
0: copious amounts of trivia. But yeah, so the last time I saw this was probably like four years ago, and I've only ever seen it once, maybe twice since then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, what about you? Since I know you're a big old uh, boxing fan.
1: I am a boxing fan, and I'd seen it, you know, a long time ago. And from then, it was just clips like on YouTube but I rewatched it for the podcast, and it was like watching it for the first time again. Seeing things that I didn't see, or you know, really didn't matter when I was younger. You know, you get more into the complex relationship between his first wife, his current wife, and it's just you know you kind of understand a little bit more about what he's going through. Because when you you see it when you're younger, it's more about the boxing and his you know dreams to becoming the greatest and you get older and you start seeing you know hey he's struggling with his marriage with children with his career his family
0: his sexual inadequacies his anger his rage
1: lots of rage
0: lots of rage raging bull yes that's kind of interesting that you say that this is a um that you remembered for the boxing because the boxing in this movie is really stylized like it does it does not look like a real boxing match
1: it's very choreographed so
0: it, i wouldn't even say choreographed it looks completely fake in, no, it, in terms of like in terms of like a traditional boxing match i mean we've watched boxing matches and fighting it doesn't look like a traditional fight i mean it, it's very stylized it very much looks overly subjective to jake Lamata. And the realism of those scenes, just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they're very realistic boxing scenes.
1: To me, it's more like a dance, you yeah. know. They're, they're throwing punches at each other, but it, it feels like a dance between these two men and who's going to come, you know, standing up. And okay. usually, Jake never goes down.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jake LaMotta in real life, because this is based on a true story, is considered one of, if not the best, middleweights of all time. And, I mean, for good reason. The guy had a chin of granite.
1: And I think he was only knocked down one time.
0: Yeah, he was knocked down once in his entire career. And that came, like, later in his career when he tried to move up weight classes.
1: Which is, you know, for a boxer, that's amazing that you've only been KO'd once.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, he he was TKO'd a few times, but he was only ever dropped once. Yeah. Which is, again really crazy when you think about it he's very good at his job but yeah um so i think we really should talk about de niro and his role in the movie i love de niro i know you make the de niro face all the time
1: i can't help it and i'm proud that i can make that face in honor of him because he's a great actor
0: we get it you want robert de niro to be your dad it's okay
1: i mean who wouldn't want de niro to be their dad
0: I mean, it'd be kind of, I mean, maybe Robert De Niro, but definitely not Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta as my dad. That would be terrifying.
1: No, not Jake LaMotta, no.
0: So, sorry, um, the actual living children of Jake LaMotta. Uh, apologies.
1: I mean, he, he probably was a good dad, you know. Uh, I haven't read his book, so I don't know. I mean, he certainly wasn't a great husband. No.
0: But, on that note, uh, not talking about Jake LaMotta and his seven wives. Let's talk about De Niro and him playing Jake LaMotta because he cut weight for the role. He actually got into like boxing shape to play Jake LaMotta.
1: And he also put on the weight to play Jake LaMotta in the later years of the film too. So, I mean, kudos to De Niro for cutting weight and then gaining a ton of weight.
0: He gained, I think, 40 pounds or 60 pounds for the role.
1: Yeah, Scorsese was ready to shut down production because he was worried about De Niro's health.
0: Oh, yeah. He thought, he thought he'd thought he have a heart attack during a scene. That was real.
1: So, you know, kudos to all actors that they cut weight for roles and they get down to these, you know, very dangerous, you know, weight classes where they're either incredibly skinny or really overweight. You know, you're just putting so much stress on your body
0: big one is um christian bale oh yeah he what is it? he bounced from the machinist where he dropped like 60 pounds and then bounced back up to play batman
1: mcconaughey too
0: oh mcconaughey's done it as well yeah but i mean the standard set by de niro for this is insane
1: yeah and I'm not sure how long it took for the the movie to be filmed. If it was like maybe a year that they worked on this, so
0: um, not probably, probably not, because I think, because okay, because film's weird. Because um, for De Niro as an actor, he probably did all of his training in the pre-production phase. Because I can't imagine Scorsese wouldn't have already had De Niro pegged to play Jake LaMotta because they had already worked together so often.
1: Well, De Niro actually came to Scorsese to make this movie.
0: After Scorsese had his cocaine OD? Yes. Yeah. Fun fun fact for all those who didn't know, all great directors are cokeheads. Let you know now.
1: I didn't know that about Scorsese. I, I was very shocked when I read that.
0: You didn't know that?
1: No, I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He was a
0: coke fiend throughout the 70s. No, huh. I,
1: I didn't know it. And it was cool to see that... So um, De Niro went to go visit him and said, hey, you know, we should really turn this into a movie. And Scorsese was very against, you know, making a sports movie, a boxing movie.
0: Because he hates sports and boxing.
1: Eh, I think he just didn't want to do a sports movie. But it was cool that De Niro was like, no, man, you need to read this. And we really need to do this. And it ended up being one of Scorsese's best films.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I guess that's the thing, because... Is this Scorsese's best film? Because I know a lot of people say it is. And granted, I don't think I don't think Martin Scorsese has a bad film. I I can't really think of any off the top of my head.
1: I also haven't seen all of Scorsese's movies, so I can't really rank what's the best. Well, I mean, you've seen a lot of them. I I've mean, seen a lot of them.
0: Goodfellas, Casino. Goodfellas.
1: You've
0: um, seen Wolf of Wall Street. I've seen
1: Wolf of Wall Street.
0: Wait, have you seen Silence?
1: I haven't seen Silence yet.
0: Oh, come on, it's as my brother has stated, it is the closest thing to pure art the cinema has ever given to the earth.
1: Then maybe you should pick it for an episode.
0: I think I will. Yeah, so like we're right gonna now, get that real Catholic guilt going down on you. It's gonna be great.
1: So for right now, I can't really say this is Scorsese's best film, but I could say this is one of his best films. I mean, one of the most iconic films that he's made.
0: I mean, is there any film that you have seen of his that you would rank higher?
1: Maybe Goodfellas, but that's because I've been watching it a lot longer than I have Raging Bull.
0: Okay, you're a fan of the gangsters over the boxers? Of course. Ah, but of course. I mean, course. I love
1: boxing, but who doesn't love gangsters? Eh,
0: yeah, this is true. Look here, she. It's all the gangsters, she. There, there's my there's my cringe part for the episode. Have fun with that.
1: You mean your Chief Wiggum part? Because you sounded my, you sounded a lot like Clancy.
0: Does my gangster voice sound like Chief Wiggum?
1: It kind of does.
0: Wow, I never knew I had a great Chief Wiggum. See, and uh, anyways, again, let's
1: cringe. let's get back to the podcast.
0: More podcast stuff. So yeah, so Robert De Niro's performance in the film is honestly fantastic. He won Best Actor for this role. He did, and he embodies. Jake LaMotta's rage, his anger, his sexual frustrations, everything about Jake LaMotta that is a bad human being, De Niro like takes and rolls with it.
1: And I didn't know that Jake LaMotta was partially deaf. Uh,
0: so that's... Yeah, I think he blew out his eardrum or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think on one side he had like maybe 60%, and on the other side like 40% so that's kind of why he was
0: well. That's pretty angry com- and that's pretty common for boxers
1: yeah you take a lot of you know blows to the head to the ears yeah but yeah you, you can understand why he's so angry you just can't hear what's going on and it's well, co- it's conveyed really well in the movie because he's constantly you know trying to read people's lips and he's you know accusing his wife of cheating on him well I, I don't know if
0: that anger stems from like an auditory disability like an understanding disability it's more i think it comes more from his like paranoia because he's paranoid about everyone in his life he thinks his brother is trying to um pull the wool over his eyes take his money steal his wife he thinks every woman in his life is cheating on him or doing things behind his back
1: but you add paranoia with this you know loss of your hearing that's only going to make you more paranoid more more angry Oh,
0: well, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't contribute, but I feel that the emotion of his character is far more based in his overwhelming paranoia and his overwhelming sense of inadequacy. Because I I think that's the, the heart of the performance. I mean, don't get me wrong, the feeling of him... It is a very interesting character thing that he always stares at people. Mm-hmm whenever he goes anywhere, he's always looking directly at no matter who he's talking to. There's, I don't think there's a scene where he's just kind of like looking away at something and kind of like hearing in. it. it that isn't an, an actor's choice, but I don't know if that's the crux of the performance.
1: It could be, and since De Niro had uh, LaMotta there with him as a consultant during the film, it could be a thing where Jake said to him, you know, this is me, you know, I, I focus in on other people, or it could have just been De Niro's choice of, you know, Hey, I'm just going to...
0: Mad dog everyone I see.
1: Mad dog observe everybody that comes into the room.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting because... Jake LaMotta did did train De Niro for this role. He actually trained him as a boxer and helped De Niro get into the method and the character work and all that other stuff. And De Niro got, got really good at boxing. I think LaMotta said he was one of the top ten middleweights he'd ever seen.
1: Yeah, he said he could have been a contender, and I guess De Niro won. I
0: could have been a contender.
1: I could have been somebody.
0: You do a pretty good brand, though. I, I'm not gonna lie.
1: I mean, I'm still ashamed that I, I said that quote to you a couple years ago, and you thought, "Oh, Raging Bull," and I'm like, "No, that's from On the Waterfront I'm... by Marlon Brando." Oh
0: well, the the decades
1: before this movie. I
0: get it. I'm a terrible. I'm a terrible human being, but. The movie does end with the raging, with raging bull, with Jake LaMotta quoting on the, the waterfront, water and it's it's crazy that that's how the movie ends, where it's you know Charlie, I could have been somebody, I could have been a contender, and it's Jake LaMotta, and he's just reciting that monologue, and it has so much like weight to it because when you think about it, it's like Jake LaMotta, you were, you were not a contender, you were a champion, mm-hmm. you. You won. You you reached the top of the mountain. You're considered one of the best boxers in the middleweight division to ever live.
1: Well, he reached the top of the mountain, but there was still another mountain he wanted to scale. He wanted to, you know, branch over into the heavyweight, even though he wasn't a heavyweight fighter. So,
0: And also, by the way, um, for those who don't know, middleweight for this, because this took place in the 1940s and 50s, mm-hmm. and back then, he- middleweight was... 155. 155 to like 160, 165. So Jake LaMotta was nowhere near heavyweight degrees in terms of size or
1: weight. No, but when you have a dream, yeah, no matter, you know, how you can't get to it or you get close enough to it, it's always going to weigh in and you're going to think, you know, what if? What if I was able to pack on the pounds to become a heavyweight? Fighter. Well,
0: not only pack on pack on the pounds and grow a foot and a half. Yeah. Because Chicken mm-hmm. Law was a small boy.
1: He was. And I'm
0: that, that in that era, he would have been boxing Rocky Marciano, Joe Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh honestly, if he did it later in a career after his um heavy after his uh middleweight run, he probably would have seen Muhammad Ali fighting. Mm-hmm. So he, he would have been in prime like heavyweight boxing territory in terms of the era if you tried to jump up. So I don't think it would have been that successful. But I, the, other than boxing terminology and mythology, because I love combat sports, but I think the big thing is that when Jake LaMotta, he reaches the top of the mountain, he gets there alone. Yeah. When he gets to the top, his brothers basically disowned him. His wife has left him. His he has no real friends to speak of that we ever meet. His kids are barely aware of his existence because he spent so much time training and ignoring them. And the only time they ever seen him was him yelling,
1: hitting their mom,
0: hitting their mom or acting like affectionate to her to make up for it. But then it's just, that's the rage in, you know, the Bronx bull. Yeah. And I think that's, I wonder if that's what that line means at the end that I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Because he was somebody, but at the end of the movie, he never feels like. Maybe he never felt like he was anyone. Yeah. So yeah, like I'm wondering, like, what do you take from that from that monologue at the end? Is is it a, is that a, a front of Jake LaMotta still being insecure?
1: Definitely, it's him. He won the belt. He won the title. He is a champion, you can't take that away from him.
0: He had a wife, he had a beautiful wife, had kids, had kids, money, success.
1: Had, had his brother, but he threw it all away for, you know, for anger, for whatever reason was just, you know, driving him wild to the point he was ready to fight everybody. So, you know, a contender could be that dream of heavyweight and being somebody is actually, you know, Having that family, that healthy family life that he really didn't have. And because, you know, he kind of pushed them away. That's why he didn't have it.
0: You know, I'm, I'm just wondering because Jake LaMotta as a character in the film, because I have no idea who Jake LaMotta was in real life. Everything I know about him is that he was worse than he was in the film.
1: I mean, that's quoted from his wife when after they saw the film and he asked her, "Was I really that bad?" And she goes, "You were worse." So we have no idea what went on in their marriage, yeah. how bad it actually was.
0: And I mean, he has since passed away. Actually, he passed away like two, three years ago. Really? He was ninety-two. Whew. Yeah, no, he was a. I mean, when you spent the majority of your twenties and thirties in peak physical condition. Mm-hmm. And you only let yourself go in your early to mid forties. Yeah, you can probably push it pretty far. Then also, the man had a chin of granite, and I don't think he ever got punch drunk. So never, never had to deal with the Parkinsons or the shaking hands. He basically just got super lucky in terms of boxers and fighters. Yeah. But yeah, beyond that point, beyond that point, I, I'm trying to think. You know. Is, is there any part of Jake LaMotta you find redeeming? Is there anything about him that isn't a bastard?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's because I enjoyed De Niro so much. But just, you know, in those c- kind of quiet moments, you just feel sorry for him. You feel sorry that he's... He's um, he's struggling with all these paranoia and insecure issues, and you just kind of like want to give him a hug and say, "Hey, you know, you're okay. You're all right. You don't really have to worry about everything that's going on." But at the same time, when someone's so stubborn and they're set in their ways, there's really no way of.
0: So Jake Lombarda is so he's not a redeemable character by any stretch of the imagination. But you, you feel sorry for him, right?
1: Yeah, I feel empathy towards him.
0: Is it the scene when he's in the the lockup and he's punching the walls and he's screaming stupid, stupid, why, why, when he has that breakdown?
1: Yeah, it's pretty bad.
0: That's I don't know if I felt empathy for him in that moment, but I felt pity for him. And I think that's... I Is that the point you're, Scorsese's trying to go for? He's not trying to make you feel... Sorry for him. He's trying to make you feel pity for him. This guy who's reached the top of the mountain, who's done all this, but his downfall is his is himself. He's the only person to blame. He's just this angry man who fought tooth and nail to get what he wanted, but he was a mon- he was a beast inside of the ring and outside of it, he was just a monster. And when you see him finally hit the low, you're like you realize. This guy has no one, and you should feel sorry for him. You should pity him.
1: I I still feel empathetic because even though he's you know, yelling stupid, stupid and punching the wall.
0: Breaks his hand.
1: Breaks his hand. I think it's not more of, you know, stupid I got caught. It's more stupid, you know, why did I wreck my life? Why did I ruin my relationship with my only brother? Why did I push my wife away and my children away?
0: by beating the shit out of him every day.
1: Yeah, so I think it was more of, that was his aha moment of seeing, you know, wow, things could have gone a very different way and I destroyed everything.
0: But even at the end of the movie, well, I guess the the ending parts of the movie where he tries to reconcile with his brother and she ju- and he just refuses him, that's that part, still that, more pity.
1: That part was heartbreaking.
0: And and at the end of the movie, when he does the on the, on the waterfront, Uh, monologue in front of the mirror he still it still seems like he's blaming everyone else for his problems okay so i guess that gets to the heart of the question does jake lamotta change from the beginning of the film and towards the end of the film
1: yeah i think he goes through you know getting more more aggressive because that's what we see at the beginning of the movie him with his first wife being very aggressive. And we have the neighbors yelling at him calling him an animal. And when he moves on to wife number two, things are, you know, back in the honeymoon phase. So we kind of see him kind of, you know, as a happier guy. And of course, you know, these, these patterns stick, they they don't really change. So it goes back to this relationship being very tumultuous and constantly on the edge because we do see some pretty rough scenes between him and the second wife. So it it's really a roller coaster with him and I don't think maybe towards the end of his life that's where we get to see a difference in him. I think he finally calms down once, you know, the dust settles and I don't know. That that's it, but I mean again, we also don't know what happens after this movie.
0: It's true cuz the movie ends in 64 Mm -hmm. so the whole the whole movie only takes a span from basically his boxing run like his initial boxing run towards the title Mm -hmm. and then it kind of rounds out after he divorces vicky his second wife Mm -hmm. and that's about the the only span of the of his life that we actually get to see
1: yeah so i mean what we see at the very end is him in the jail cell are also giving the monologue so we don't see anything after that. So we don't know if, you know, this this uh, being in prison or being in jail changes him at all. I don't
0: I, I don't, don't know, know if it does. I don't know if it does, and I think that's the point Scorsese's trying to make is this guy who had basically everything, money, success, uh, he was a champion, all this he he was the best in the business and his chosen profession. But at the end of the day, he's alone. Yeah. He did it. He he literally lived the life of the Sinatra song "I Did It My Way."
1: He did, and throughout the movie, you know, we have uh, what's his name, Tommy Como, who's trying to help him build his career, and he keeps telling his brother, "I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on my own." and that's so much his mentality i think throughout his life that he wants to do everything on his own and ultimately that's how he ends up he ends up completely alone i mean in the film we don't know what happens in later years i don't
0: know i mean was, he had 7 wives
1: but i so, don't know if yeah. he was married when he passed yeah i'm pretty sure
0: so. i mean i'm i'm again actually i shouldn't say i'm pretty sure i mean i have an idea and i think he was
1: but at um, the end of the movie...
0: Actually, no, yeah, he was. He was married when he when he died.
1: Okay, but but at the end of the movie, he's alone. Because he had just divorced his wife, the kids are with his wife, his brother's not speaking to him.
0: His brother still uh, hates him for beating the shit out of him. Granted, his brother cheated on his wife with uh, Jake's wife, so I mean, yeah, they're both a little...
1: They're guilty there, but to get the the crap knocked out of you in front of your wife and kids is very traumatic and embarrassing and heartbreaking because you wouldn't think that a sibling would do that to you and scare their nieces and nephews. But
0: I mean, how many brothers have you had to beat the shit out of in front of their family? You know,
1: um, none. Not (laughs) not none. Not met. Okay. See, good.
0: See, that sounds like a great family dynamic over there. I don't think Jake LaMotta and his brother really had that family dynamic, and I think. The whole their whole relationship is just showing that he is kind of right to be paranoid, but his reaction is that of somebody who is on un- completely unhinged.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's so be... much
0: violence in his life, and oh, yeah. he just because he makes his money off of violence, he participates in violence in his work, which is being a professional fighter. And he participates with it outside of the ring. It's almost like he's never not fighting. He's never not looking for violence.
1: Yeah. So y- y- you kind of feel bad for him because he's constantly paranoid and he thinks that this is his way to solve things, but it really isn't. You...
0: But yeah, he always participates in that kind of violence.
1: And it's so unnecessary. You don't need to, you know, beat somebody near an inch of their life just over the the slightest. Things that you're building up in your mind, even though he was right about his brother sleeping with his wife.
0: He's over there being like, hashtag Kobe nailed it. Rest in peace. But yeah, he beat the shit out of out of his brother Joey, right?
1: Oh yeah. Did you know that <laughs> that Scorsese left that out of the script? That he was supposed to beat the crap out of Joe Pesci. I
0: I heard I heard that was a thing that Joe Pesci thought he was just filming a like dinner scene with his. With the wife in the movie or whatever, and the kids, and he was very surprised when um, Robert De Niro burst into the into the room,
1: which worked because you just see that you know shocked, confused look on Joe Pesci's face, and he just took a beating. I mean, I feel that, bad for him.
0: That's credit to Joe Pesci because th- a lot of this movie was improvised. I think most, if not all, the dialogue was improv. By Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro in their scenes, and uh, De Niro and uh, the actress who played Vicky—I can't—I can't remember her name.
1: Kathy, I'm gonna butcher her last name. I've been trying to figure out. Morarity, Moriarty.
0: Moriarty. Moriarty. Can I read it? You can read it? Yeah, just just hold it up. I can I can do this. Vicky Lamotta, Kathy. Move your finger. Yeah, Moriarty. Moriarty. I, I think. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's how it looks like it. That looks like how it's spelled. But yeah. But almost all their lines together were improv Um,
1: This was their first movie together, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, this was the first... I think, I think this was Joe Pesci's first movie. And I'm pretty sure this was Miss Moriarty's first movie as well.
1: Yes, this was her first movie. And I was watching her in the movie and I'm like, I know you from somewhere. I was... She, she
0: looks familiar from something or other.
1: And I finally figured out she's Kerrigan from Casper.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is.
1: So I was like, that's cool. This is a young Kerrigan. So definitely have to watch Casper now.
0: Oh. But yeah, so that's like, again, that's a testament to the these actress performances because the dialogue they came up with on the fly, a lot of the blocking, all that stuff, and Scorsese being a good director just gave them the tools to be like, Look, if it works for the character, go for it. I'm here. I'm going to film it. I'm going to make sure everything's, you know, working. Just shoot for the moon. And De Niro is the kind of person to say, All right, yeah, I, I can do that. I'm Robert De Niro. I'm probably the greatest living actor. I got this.
1: I mean, let alone, you know, even the, the scenes where they're hitting each other, they're actually hitting each other. Which is... I mean, I feel, again, you feel bad for Pe- Joe Pesci because... Robert Niro broke one of his ribs during one of the scenes. Man, they really went hardcore for this film.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, again, this movie is fantastic with, like, all the little bits and all the, the interesting bits of the film. Because basically every part of the movie feels real. Except for the boxing scenes, because I will keep harping on it.
1: You love the harp.
0: I I know. Like, I'll play my little harp on my little cloud of pretension. But the boxing scenes are, I think they're meant to look n- non-realistic. They're only meant to invoke the emotion of a fight mm-hmm. and not um, portray an actual fight. Like, the Rocky film. Like, Rocky is a good example of boxing shown in a realistic way. Mm-hmm. And this is shown in boxing in an artistic way. It's it's one version of the mechanics versus the emotion.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what Scorsese was trying to go for with this film. You know, this was partially part of the reason why the film was shot in black and white, because he didn't want to be like Rocky in color. So he really went for more of an artistic feel when it came to this kind of boxing movie. And I think that's why you're having such a hard time with the boxing scenes scenes not feeling authentic because it is supposed to be more of a artistic view on, you know, the fighting.
0: Oh no, I mean I I appreciate the artistic view on the fighting. Honestly, I think it works great. Um again, this I don't think there's a single frame in this movie that doesn't work. I'm just saying that it's weird to call this a boxing movie and not call it a biopic? A biopic or a drama or it it's just It's just strange because everybody says... Okay, I'll just just say it. I looked at some reviews of the film Mm -hmm. on IMDb while I was doing a little bit of research on this, and somebody said this isn't a boxing film. This is just some weird art house film that has boxing in it, but it's not boxing. It's just art stuff. And I was thinking is that correct is this actually a boxing movie or is this just an art film where the main character happens to be a boxer
1: why can't it be both why can't it be you know an art film about a sport
0: i mean that's the thing like you can actually you absolutely have an art film about a sport i mean that's completely fine i mean i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that what i'm saying and trying to get to is that this film does not care about the actual boxing the in-ring performance because
1: i mean there's only about 10 minutes or less of boxing in the movie it's it's more of a movie about jake lamotta's life
0: exactly so is this would could you get away with just calling this a straight biopic and the boxing is not even secondary to the story but so like it's a footnote of the story at large
1: you probably could, but boxing meant so much to him. I don't think you could really give boxing the backseat.
0: I mean, you couldn't tell his life story without talking about the boxing.
1: No, and throughout it, it's just him trying to reach the top of the mountain and get the belt. So even though we don't see too much of the boxing and the boxing's choreographed, it was still so important to him that he basically got rid of everything just to have boxing in his life. And ultimately lose it in the end.
0: Hmm. Well, I think I led the discussion uh, pretty well so far. I think it's your turn. Is there anything in the movie you wanted to talk about? Any thoughts you wanted to poke at and pin down?
1: Well, since you are a film student.
0: I'm a film nerd, yes.
1: Nearing your film education career.
0: I'm almost done, yeah. Hopefully this will be the last uh, semester.
1: What did you think about the way the, the scenes were shot? Composition-wise.
0: Composition-wise? That's a good question. So, I think you can tell this scene was heavy. This movie was heavy on improv because there's not a lot of breaks in the scenes. There's not a lot of cutting going on. Mm -hmm. So, that's usually a sign that either they didn't have a lot of money and they couldn't do multiple setups to cut around and stuff like that. Or the actors were improvising so they can't cut to different close-ups and stuff like that because, you know, it's really hard for somebody to remember something they made up on the spot a second ago and do it the same way.
1: Or was it just a shooting style?
0: Oh, it's also a shooting style. I mean, well, Scorsese is famous for letting his actors basically just go ham and just, just do something in front of the camera you think your character would do and we'll just film it. He does that a lot. He did that with, um, with Wall Street, The Aviator, with um, Goodfellas. A lot of what this movie feels like is like a... It, it feels like a French New Wave film. It, that, granted, that comes from the stereotype of French New Wave films like Breathless and 400 Blows and Elevator to the Gallows.
1: Is and that... you also loving French New Wave? Uh,
0: I mean, I did like French New Wave, and then I took a class about French New Wave, so my love is... Tainted? Very tainted, yeah. Um, but that's not against the films, that's against other things. But I would say that the way the characters talk, the way the characters act, and the way the story is feels very French New Wave because the there's no re, there's not a, really a traditional plot. It's there's it's not a thing where oh Jake Lamati he's trying to get to the belt. He has to go through these tasks and tribulations of fighting these people, and then he's going to win the belt everybody's gonna is gonna try out well in the end it's gonna end the movie because that's that's a traditional like hollywood plot that's rocky Mm -hmm. but this is more of a character study because he wins the belt like what halfway into the movie Mm -hmm. and then the rest of it is just showing the aftermath is really what the movie is about is jake lamotta when he's finally reached his goal and how he kind of just spirals out Mm -hmm. and that's the movie and i think that's the whole thing with the French New Wave, where they weren't about traditional plots, they were more about the characters, and it could end bleak. And this movie ends bleak. There's no real joy at the end of the film for Jake LaMotta. Just more anger, except now he's fat and alone, and alone,
1: and depressed.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he was depressed. He seemed like a kind of guy who sadness wasn't really his his thing. He's like, I'm not sad, I'm just more angry that I'm, I'm not feeling well.
1: Uh, but I mean, you know, you go from being a, a professional athlete to...
0: A stand-up comic? Yeah. What's wrong with that? You know, there's plenty of, of pro fighters who've done that. I mean, I can think of two.
1: Is, is of Jake Sh- Lamata?
0: One's Jake LaMotta, yeah. The other one's Brendan Schaub, and he's pretty bad at being a comedian. From my understanding. But you know,
1: I don't know who that is. Yeah, so.
0: he's on the Joe Rogan podcast a oh, lot. Oh, okay. Hey, the, Joe Rogan, there's a free shout out from a from a podcast you probably never heard of before. Boom, nailed it. So yeah, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I, I you know, threw my, threw ourselves under the bus for comedy. So yeah, anything else you wanna pin down? Well, actually, I got a I got a counterpoint. So you asked me about the composition, and mm-hmm. you know everything's composed in a very interesting French New Way style, but. You know, you're a photographer and you do do a lot of black and white photography. I do. How do you think the film was shot? Or how did you find the film artistically innovative, interesting? Did it, how did, how did you think it worked?
1: I thought it was innovative, you know, to, to be in a world where color had already been in cinema for such a long time. I thought it was great to go back to black and white. And I think it really catered to this film. And they took it out of um, Jake LaMotta's autobiography where he says when he looks back on his life, he sees it played out as a black and white movie. And he's not sure why, but that's how he envisions it. So it was kind of cool that they paid homage to that. But also, I can't really picture this movie being in color. This movie is more made for black and white.
0: It really is because it's... This movie in color, I think, would be... I think it would actually make the movie worse,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is weird because I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you can probably find somebody online who's done a recolored yeah. scene of Raging Bull and it just doesn't look right.
1: And I mean, we we do have color in the movie. We have the, the flashbacks of the home oh. videos that's played throughout the movie.
0: All those eight millimeter bits. Yeah. Oh God, I don't know why, but for some reason eight millimeter in in movies with like one of those like classic like um, 50 songs over it gets me every time. So uh, good.
1: I loved it and I love the fact that Scorsese was actually the one at home scraping the the eight millimeter film with a, a coat hanger just to kind of give it that
0: that aged look, that, that weathered aged, look
1: roughed look yeah. So yeah, as a photographer I, I really love the way the film was shot. I love that they chose black and white for their, their palette in this movie, because I mean, let alone with the blood, it's, it's a boxy movie, you're gonna see a lot of blood, so it was cool to, you know, kind of see it washed out to black, and, you know, again paying homage to Alfred Hitchcock by using chocolate syrup for the blood in this movie. It works. Hershey's chocolate syrup.
0: It's the best kind. The good stuff. It's the best chocolate syrup and it's the best blood.
1: Love Hershey's. Yeah. But yeah, I, I also loved composition too. I, I loved um, the, the boxing scenes. How he used that third camera as like a third fighter in the ring. So you feel like you're standing in that ring with those two men and you're just trying to survive the fight. So I, I'd love to see this on a big screen just to see what it's like to be in that ring with them.
0: Honestly, that would probably, that's, this would be such a different movie to see in a movie theater.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I guess if we had to say, uh, yeah, we would absolutely recommend this movie to yeah. go see. 100%. 110%. Um, So I guess we'll kind of, well get to the wrapping up of this, but boo. So I believe last time i asked you what your favorite movie was now and i believe that was jacob's ladder yes now where does raging bull sit on this list
1: well we just started this month so maybe ask me at the end of the month
0: ask at the end of the month because we
1: still got some movies to go through including a dean's art house pick that's coming up next week
0: Yes. So, a...
1: do you want to tell them or do you want to use the oh. Easter egg? What do you want oh, to do? Oh, I'm
0: going to I'm just going to tell everybody because I'm very excited for this one. All right. This is a film you've never seen before.
1: I have not seen it yet.
0: It's considered one of the greatest films ever made. Yes, it is. Stars Jack Nicholson. It also features Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd. It is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: How excited are you to do this? I am
0: so excited. I gave you the, I'm giving you the book to read before we watch the movie, which by the way, of course I own the book. It's great.
1: Of course he does.
0: And the movie is fantastic and I can't wait for you to watch it. It won all the Oscars the year it came out.
1: I will be watching it soon. I'm very excited to watch it. I love Jack Nicholson. I'm just surprised it's taken me this long to see it.
0: It's, uh, it's one of those movies that a lot of people are surprised when they watch it. They're like, how have I never seen this before? Mm-hmm. But on that note, Boo, is there anywhere they can find us, watch us, hear us other than here?
1: Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform, we are on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Bleeker. We're on a whole bunch of platforms now. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And anything else before we finish up?
0: If you want to hear more of me ramble on about movies, you can find me on the Double Feature Podcast on the YouTube channel, in the frame, or on our on the other Instagram page, run by you, which is the double feature underscore podcast.
1: That would be correct. And uh, see, I got it right. You did, and I'm surprised. We only had one shameless plug today.
0: Hashtag shameless plug.
1: Can't believe you did, and I'm so proud of you.
0: But other than that, you can also find me on the same channel. I do another podcast called Too Obscure for TV, which hopefully the first episode would have dropped by the time i have done this, so have fun with that. And other than that, that's... Uh, Should be about it. All right.
1: We'll see you next week at the film club.
0: See you next week at the film club. Keep on fighting. Peace.